We're reading from Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Amen. Sean, go ahead and stand, stay up here. Brandon, come here. Come here, Mike. Just point out the obvious here. Come here. Dennis is looking pretty good over there, too. He's got a little more gray in his shirt, though. So, all right, you guys can have a seat. We're going to have some fun. We're on the same text thread together, try to figure out what to wear on Sunday mornings. Uh, just over eight years ago, uh, before I moved here, um, I was figuratively underwater on the house that I owned. Uh, I bought this little townhouse uh, just kind of at the end of 2008. And if any of you remember back to 2008, 2008 was kind of the start of the housing crisis. And I bought a house at a great deal with a great interest rate at the time. And I even got a, like, a first-time homebuyer credit. So like free $8,000 loan from the government. You had to buy at that particular time, things were, things were really trending in the right direction for first-time homebuyers. Well, <laughs> I left that house in 2013, and 2013 uh, was kind of the end-ish of the housing crisis, and I was about 40 grand underwater on that house, figuratively speaking. So uh, I didn't sell it. I kept it and turned it into a rental. Um, and it's, it's been a pretty good rental. It's been fairly easy to rent out because it's a, a fairly nice house. It's a, it's a pretty cool looking house, especially um, for a kind of a first time home buyer, a new person. Here's just a, a picture of it. Uh, you can tell it's a townhouse. It's connected to others. Here's what it looks like inside. It had this really nice kind of open floor plan. Uh, I like to host. I like to have people over. I think hospitality is a, something that Christians uh, should show to other people. So whenever I bought a house or whenever I've done something, uh, I've tried to buy or think of my house as a place where people will come and I can host them and do life with them. And so I was a youth minister at the time, so I needed some space uh, for what I could afford. And so you had this open floor plan. It's kind of cool. This is actually a loft that looks out the window and it looks out to the pool area. Um, the neighborhood had a pool and my house is right across from the pool. So it was, a, it was a pretty neat place to live, nice place to live. Not hard to rent out, uh, but um, unfortunately, being figuratively underwater on this house is probably not the worst thing that happened to me or uh, that has to do with this house. This house is also in a floodplain. So on October 6th, 2001, this month, 
uh, the house was four feet underwater. Uh, and so it did look like the pictures I just showed you. This is what it looks like right now. Yeah. Four feet of water arose and came into that house, and uh, we've ripped out all the walls. All the walls have been ripped out at this point in time. So pretty crazy. Now, I know what maybe some of you are thinking, and even I had the proclivity to think, is that the house is ruined. It's ruined. Look at that. But the truth is it's not. It's not. It's still attached to the foundation. It just needs to be rebuilt. It is still where it was before the floodwaters came in. It has not moved. It's still where it belongs. It just needs rebuilt. The text that Brenda just read to us out of Luke 6 talks about two different builders. And Jesus uses this analogy to basically compare two different types of people or maybe even two different types of churches. I'm going to pick up in verse 46, and we're going to look at these two different types of builders this morning. Let's begin in verse 46. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the streams broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So Jesus is going to say that there are two types of builders. And this first builder that he is going to show us is a person who is going to dig a deep foundation, is going to lay it on a rock. In other words, it's somebody who's going to have a strong foundation. Builders who dig deep, who take the time to work, who take the time to move the dirt, to attach their house, to attach what they're going to do to the rock, are the ones who are not going to be swept away when the storm comes. They are the ones who are not going to be destroyed when bad weather takes place or when things happen in their lives that they are not expecting or when different things take place that feel like they might destroy you or put you underwater. Jesus says, no, there is a type of person who builds and anchors themselves in a foundation that cannot be moved, somebody with a strong foundation, somebody who attaches themselves to a strong foundation. Now he's going to go on and he's going to say there's a person who does not do this, and so there's a second type of person that Jesus is going to talk about, and this is what he uh, says about them. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It was great. These are people who build without a foundation. So Jesus says there are people who build with a strong foundation and there are people who build without a foundation. They just show up and they're just going to start building on the dirt. They're attached to the ground, they stand on, and so when the ground starts to move or when the ground starts to shift, they do as well. They don't take the time to try to find the rock. They don't, take the, they don't do the hard work that it takes to dig, to get to the rock, to attach their foundation to the rock. And so when life gets hard, when things come your way that you're not expecting, what you do is you fall. 
what it does is it destroys you. And great is the fall of it is what Jesus says. So it's not just this little fall. I mean, it, it's, it's painful. It hurts. It's destructive. Now imagine for a second if my house would not have been attached to the foundation. Four feet of water is a lot of water. I mean, that's, I'm not very tall, so that's, that's, that's a lot of water. I mean, think about this. The Grand Canyon was carved out by water. So think about how powerful water is as it moves in and out of places. So it wasn't like, the, the house literally, it could have just floated away if it wasn't attached to the foundation, but it was. And this is why Jesus, who was a carpenter, by the way, teaches that foundations are essential. Foundations are essential because storms are inevitable. Do you realize that? Just because you're a follower of Jesus does not mean that storms won't come in your life. It doesn't mean that things won't get hard. Everybody has storms. Everybody's foundation will be tested at some point. The natural world is a reminder of this. We have storms. And, and Jesus used these sorts of examples to remind us of what happens in our lives. The rain and flooding should remind us that sometimes it feels like we are getting rained on. Sometimes we feel like we are getting flooded with things that we cannot handle or that we do not know what to do with. Tornadoes, hurricanes, all of that takes place. And when it does, what is happening is we are discovering what our house is made of. Right now, I don't think anybody would argue that we are in the midst of a cultural storm. We live in a very politically toxic time. There is a pandemic going on. And depending on probably how you view the pandemic, mass, all those sorts of things, probably has, it's probably connected to how you view politics. 60 years after the Civil Rights Act, there's still racial strife. And in fact, in the past 10 years, it may have gotten worse instead of better. We don't trust pretty much any institution anymore. I don't blame a lot of people for not either. And this includes the church. I mean, just think about like all the sex scandals that you've heard. And the Protestant church and the Catholic church. I mean, who can we trust? We're in the midst of a cultural storm. And these cultural storms are personal. You can't just, like, kind of, well, that's that out there. The culture is made up of people. You and I, individuals. And the culture is it's, it's hard to define. It's hard to think about because it's kind of like the air we breathe. We just all live in it. And if it's toxic, what we are doing is we are just breathing this toxic air and some of us are getting sick from it. More people now are depressed probably than they've ever been since we started recording mental illnesses. More people are stressed out since we started recording that sort of thing. Alcoholism is on the rise and it has been. Suicide is up. Divorce rate, which had been hitting all-time lows. Do you realize that? Like, you know, we talk about how 50% of people and stuff like that getting divorced and all the... Do you really, that actually had been dropping pretty rapidly over the past 10 to 15 years. It is steadily working its way back up over the past two years. 
the church. I mean, you can look around. Obviously, a lot of people aren't here that used to be here. Part of it is the pandemic. Part of it is culture. But studies are showing right now that one-third of the people who have left the church this past year do not plan on coming back. One-third. What's interesting is Barna, who studies some of this too, are showing that one-third is also more depressed, stressed, and dealing with some of this mental illness more so than those who have come back, those who are participating. These storms are revealing and testing our foundation. They are. So here's the question, because I've not answered this. We just talked about our foundation. We just talked about the importance of being anchored to the foundation. The question we need to make sure that we answer this morning before we leave is this. What is the foundation Jesus is referring to? I mean, what is, what is Jesus talking about? What does he expect us to be anchored to? Go back to verse 46. Here it is. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me, and watch this, and hears my words and does them. Everyone who comes to me and then hears my words and does them. That's what Jesus is talking about. So, I didn't get to preach the entire Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, you have the Sermon on the Mount, which is this teaching that Jesus gives while standing on a hill <laughs> and looking down kind of towards people. And it's a, it's a longer teaching. It's a couple chapters long. In Luke, he's on a plane. He's on a flatter ground. And it's a shorter, condensed teaching of what really is also the same sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was a traveling preacher. So what that means is that Jesus probably preached the same sermon or a sermon or similar sermons numbers of times, depending on where he was at, because he was a traveling preacher. Pastors, by the way, uh, speakers, what they do, they don't always preach a new sermon. Sometimes they'll preach some, uh, one sermon somewhere, and they'll go and preach the same sermon somewhere else. So this is what Jesus probably did. This is why we have these different sermons at different times that sound alike but are slightly different in different places in different times. So what Jesus is doing here at the end, this is the end of his sermon on the Sermon of the Plain. And he is wrapping it up and he is telling them, now you have heard my words. You've come to me to hear me. Now you have heard my words and here's what I want for you. I want you to do them. I want you to practice them. And so Jesus says that there is a storm coming, that you will have trials, that you will have tribulations, that troubles will take place. And then he concludes how you get through your troubles is by doing the words that I gave you. He's saying your survival as my people, people who are my unique people, people who will call themselves Christians, people who will follow the way, people who will believe what Jesus had to say was the truth and would give life. He's saying you will hear them, you will know them, but you will also do them. You will understand them. This is, by the way, what Jesus means when he's saying that you are, are digging deep. 
So many of us, we think that when we are digging deep, we are learning something we didn't learn before. We are, we, we are being given knowledge of something that we didn't know. If a pastor had a quarter for every time somebody said, hey, I, I just need you to go deeper. But what Jesus said is the depth is not in the knowledge. The depth is in the doing. Your obedience to Jesus' words is the foundation that he's talking about. You see, when the waters are rising, when things get tough, when you're in a different, difficult cultural moment, the foundation is obedience. It's knowing what I've said, and it's doing it at that time. So I said I didn't get a chance to teach all of this, but I want to read through some of Jesus' teaching here on the Sermon of the Plain so you can kind of get an idea of what Jesus had just been teaching them, what he had just told them. He begins it in Luke 6, verse 20. He said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. On the account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, this is really interesting here. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you, call you evil. Blessed are you. Now, how many people, have, uh, how, how many are, are we just taking that? Like, let me speak to everybody o- over the age of 35 here for a second. Okay, because nobody over the age of 35 gets on Facebook anymore. Yeah. Like, on Facebook, when people are maybe saying bad things uh, about Christians, or maybe even against, like, your political party, or the person that you support, or, I don't know, sexuality, how, whatever, like, how are you reacting to them? Do you see that, like, oh, yeah, they're hating on me or whatever, and you, like, hate back? Or, or do you call names back? Or do you go back after them? Not in a way just to, like, say, like, hey, yeah, I respectfully disagree or whatever. Um, have you thought about this? But, no, I'm, like, talking about, like, are you going after them? Or do you see that and go, well... I guess Christ said this was going to happen. Now, I'm not just going to pick on the old people here, but the young people, right? Old people kind of know what they believe to a certain extent, right? They're willing to take it on the chin, argue, all of those sorts of things. When you're young, though, you care about popularity, (laughs) So those of you who are on TikTok, by the way, do you know like the Chinese like are spying on you if you're on TikTok? Um, I think my wife's on TikTok, but uh, I'm not on TikTok. Um, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever the new cool things are, right? Are you watering it down? Are you, are you like, oh, I'm not really sure Jesus said that. Or, or I'm not really sure I need to do that. 
Or you know what? I bet Jesus would be cool with that. Like, are you watering? Are you trying to be popular? Are you, are you trying to gather more followers? Jesus, Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you. They did it to the prophets. They did it to Jesus. He goes on to say, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for your fathers, for so your, their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus goes on to say, and he tells people to love their enemies. After that, he tells people that it is not our job to condemn people, but allow God to be the final judge of people and instead spend our time trying to take the plank out of our own eyes so that we can see clearly. And so what Jesus is telling everybody here is that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of rising waters, when things get difficult, when the culture is changing, when it feels like people are coming after you, in the midst of the storm, he is teaching all of this and he expects us to hear his teaching and to do his teaching. Jesus is a teacher here and he's hoping that we will listen to it and do it. And and so just let me ask you this question here. I think we all need to think about this question. Is who are you influenced most by at this moment in history? Who are you influenced most by? I want to ask you, who feel like you're in a storm and everything's kind of closing in on you because maybe the culture is changing, who are you listening to most? Who are you being discipled by most? Who are you learning from most? Is it cultural and political commentators or is it Jesus? Young people. Is it social media influencers? Or is it Jesus? No matter who it is, if they don't sound like Jesus, and if they aren't speaking to your heart in a way that makes you think like Jesus and makes you want to do the things that Jesus did, you probably need to be careful. Think about it. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Are the people that you are being discipled by, influenced by, when you think of the poor, do you think of yourself wanting to be a blessing to them? Or do you think about them maybe as just a drain on society? If you are rich, Jesus actually says, whoa, (laughs) to you. For those of us who have a lot of means, during this time where we may see the, or some instability maybe even in the economy, For those of us who are wealthy, are we thinking 
Like, hey, God is going to get me through this. I need to continue to be generous. I need to continue to trust in him. I need to make sure that my foundation is in my belief that God is going to take care of me and that I should help take care of others. Or are you holding onto your money more tightly? Are we making enemies or are we loving them? Are we spending more time criticizing and condemning the world around us or focusing on taking the plank out of our own eyes? Jesus' teaching is our foundation, and it should remain that, not when times are good, but in the midst of the storm. Further, he teaches that we discover what we've really built our lives on when the waters rise. Do you realize that? It's not during the good times where you realize like what your foundation is built on. It's actually when it's difficult. So, my, my, my son right now is dressed as a banana. They're, uh, they dressed up for church today for Halloween. And uh, just in case you wonder why he's dressed as a banana, he's the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So let me ask you this, right? When the waters rise, what fruit is coming out? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control? Or is it everything that it doesn't have to do with that? Because that's when you discover actually what your foundation is built on. So let me just ask this question. What is this cultural moment revealing in you? What is it revealing in our church? What's it revealing in the church at large right now? Now, there's some good news as we think about all of this. The shifting culture is not a threat to the movement of God if, if everyone comes to him. Let me put it this way. If everyone who comes to me, in other words, Jesus said, there are people who are coming to me. You are here this morning and you have come to God. Not everybody is going to go to him. But I still believe that if God's people go to him, there is good news. This is not the first cultural storm that our country or any other country has ever had throughout history. I, I like history. Derwin Gray helped point out some of this in his sermon. But I, I think this is important for us to think about history because those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it and also sometimes even doomed to just be hopeless and not understand what to do in the midst of different things that are happening so let's think about the 60s for a second. Think about this. In 1963, JFK was shot and killed. Following that, or during, in the midst of this, civil rights movement was going on. Pretty big racial tensions there. In 1968, MLK was shot. Following his death, about three months later, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Following this, or in the midst of all of this, 
there's a pandemic going on. I think it was H1, 3, or N2 or something, known as the Hong Kong virus or pandemic. About 1 million to 4 million people died during this. You realize that went on during this time too. Some of you lived through it. In the midst of all this, Vietnam. Some of this hits home with some of you, even in our own country here, right down the road. The National Guard and protesters, four people died, nine were injured, can't even get along here at home during that time. Just crazy, crazy decade. Think about that for a second. That's in a decade. Decade. Now, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, God was up, some, up to something. In the late 1960s and in the early 70s, revival did break out. Revival broke out. Some of it happened in the place that many of us would think would be the least likely place. Crazy land of California called the Jesus Movement. Do you know that? The Jesus Movement were a bunch of people who was telling people, let's get off the drugs. Let's get off the bandwagon that we believe that we are going to change everything primarily through politics. And let's believe, let's stop believing that free love, whatever that is, right, is going to make things better. And instead, let's turn to Jesus. It spread to the universities. It spread through all out, through, throughout our country. And to be honest, like some of my favorite pastors to read come out of this movement, whether it be in the universities or wherever it might be. And really, this is a global charismatic movement. Most of the churches now growing across the world are charismatic and even kind of worship in similar ways that just Jesus' movement worshiped in. And they didn't give up theology. Check this out. Look at their signs here. Like, oh, these are just a bunch of liberal hippies. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. Try Jesus. Rising waters, a lot of times they're scary to us, but they don't scare God. The other day, I guess a while ago, I was in a meeting with a group of pastors. Uh, some of them uh, getting closer to retirement. And uh, they were really excited about that. They, you know, there's not mincing words that this has been the most difficult time in their lives to do ministry. And it's been very difficult for them. And that they are looking forward uh, to retirement. And they were just kind of talking about those sorts of things. And we were talking about some of the difficulties. And I just kind of stopped everybody. I'm like, hold on a second. There is opportunity in the midst of all of this. Yeah, this is it's, it's hard. Like, this is a weird time to do ministry. People can't get along. Churches are struggling. Some people are just mean. But God is up to something. And not only that, our, our culture is longing for something. People are longing for something more. 
People are searching, and we have an opportunity to give it to them. And not only that, this is an opportunity for so many of our people in the pews to evaluate their lives and really ask, what is my foundation built on? Am I really interested in following and obeying Jesus? Or am I interested in what I can get from Jesus? Am I interested in weathering the storm? Or am I going to be wiped out by it? For churches, churches are finding out what they're really made of, what they're really built on. Are they built on Jesus Christ? Do they have a desire to obey him in the midst of the storm? Or are they going to be wiped out? See, I, I think actually people want to hear what Jesus has to teach right now. I do. I believe that. I think people want their lives transformed. I think people want to hear something different. I think people want to see something different. I think people want to be involved in communities that actually care and love for one another. I think people want to be around people that are going to be kind to them and love them, even if they disagree with them. I think people want to be around people that aren't going to condemn them. I'm not saying that aren't going to disagree with them. I'm saying that aren't going to condemn them. I think people want that. And the church has an opportunity to be that. You have an opportunity to be that. I do think we're in a cultural moment right now that feels like this. Go back to my house here. Feels like this. Like for some of us. Some of us feel like we've been gutted a little bit. We feel a little empty. We feel like we don't really know what to do with what is happening. I feel like this at times. <laughs> but here's what is true. Is that those who go to Jesus and hear his words and do what he says, I do believe this exists again. If not better. Next. There. God can rebuild. And he does. But he rebuilds on top of people who are set on the foundation. And so church, let me just ask this. What are you built on? Are you built on Jesus and his teaching? Are you built on the ground? Are you shifting with the culture? There are others here this morning that maybe you feel like you don't really have a foundation. You don't know what to stand on. You don't know what to believe. You don't know what to do. And I would just encourage you. I would encourage you to read the Gospels, to seek after Jesus, to try to obey him, not because you're going to get anything out of it, 
because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He will give you something that you cannot find anywhere else. And only in him will you be secure. Otherwise, you will spend your entire life just kind of shifting every time something happens. So I hope you will go to Jesus. And I hope all of us will do the work it takes to dig deep foundations, to continually hear Jesus' words and do what he has to say in the midst of the storms that will come. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we give you praise and thanks because you give us a place to go in the midst of storms. That when it seems like we don't know what is true or who to follow, that you are there. I pray, Father, that we would be those who build on a strong foundation. That we would be the type of people who dig deep. Not so we can just learn something new. But so that we can follow the God who tells us who to be, who to become, and what to do. I pray for those, Father, who are looking for somebody, are looking for something to anchor their lives to. I pray that they return to your son, Jesus. He's good. Even when we are not, even when our circumstances are not, he is good. And he is true. Even when there are so many lies being lived out, being passed around, and when we don't know what to believe, we can trust in him. Let everybody's trust in this room grow greater and deeper so that our obedience would follow. May those in and outside of these walls see a church, not a building, but a group of people whose foundations are strong. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.